Hello and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Akshay Taylor, and today I'm joined once again by the cast of All Bad Things. So, you guys want to say hi? Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm David. Hi. And this is Blood on the Rocks. Very good, because I was going to get the name wrong. <laughs> because I always call you the Bloody Rocks, which is incorrect. Right. I, I was waiting for it. I, I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, David was. David chimed in early. He's like, wait, she's going to screw it up. Let me say it. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, feel like, I feel like I'm almost let down by getting it right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Um, yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourself a bit for people that didn't listen to the original, which you should? <laughs> yes, we have a podcast called All Bad Things that's about basically disasters. Yeah, because it's like not crimes where we specifically don't do true crime, but otherwise anything like um, natural disasters to man-made disasters plenty of of those plane crashes and crowd stampedes and everything but just it's basically about tragedies that do not involve a crime and overt specific crimes sometimes there's lots of negligence there is yes (laughs) but um and we try and keep it nice and cheery and lighthearted. yes (laughs) because sometimes the topics get a little too like uh they're very morose we have to balance it out yeah this is too heavy so it's okay if you laugh during our podcast because yes. that's what we're trying to make you do. Because sometimes the overtones of what we're talking about are pretty serious. Yeah. So mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, we don't want to make you depressed and like crash into a guardrail on the way to work <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> we want you to you know have fun on the way to work and then get depressed at lunch. <laughs> okay, let it kick in later. <laughs> yep. Uh, so essentially, if you like this show, you'll like theirs. It's one of my favorites. It should be one of yours. Um, Thank you very much. Yes, that's very sweet. Yes. I mean, I've been listening to it since, what, like, I think it was since, like, the first, like, three weeks of me starting mine, so I was like... When did you start yours? Are you coming up? You're probably coming up on your, like, one year. I was going to say, it's pretty close. October 11, I think, off the top of my head. I remember it was in the lead of Halloween, but I was like, I don't want it to be on Halloween, so I don't Uh, want to please four. Okay. So I think it was the 11th, somewhere around there. Okay. It's just a couple of months away. Yeah. Yep. Uh, if I'm right, I'll treat myself to another beer, which I'm going to do anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like today I'm drinking Hobgoblin, uh, which is pretty standard oh, okay. from the UK. I love the name of it. Yeah, that is cool. It's, Hobgoblin. It's one of the ales that tends to be on tap in most pubs here. Oh, okay. Like, what type, what kind of beer is it? It's a dark ale. It's like, um, okay. maybe Ruby, I can't remember. Uh, it's like 5.2%. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, you are having I'm having club soda and I'm really <laughs> bummed about it because I forgot I was um, on call for some volunteer duty that requires I'm it should I be called in that I not show up drunk so yeah I'm having something new it's called two hats I couldn't tell you where this is from but it is a it is a crisp light beer <laughs> with lime flavor with lime flavor <laughs> and for anyone listening this intro may go on longer than normal because, <laughs> because we're involved. <laughs> Everything yeah. goes longer than normal. I mean, I haven't spoken to you guys in months, really. So I'm just yeah. like, so I'm also using this as a part to just kind of talk and be casual. So yeah. sure. Um, if I remember to, I may even tell you how, like, when to skip to if you don't want to listen to all of our talking. But there's a good chance I'm not going to remember to. So 
We're just going to roll with the punches. Yeah. So, today, I'm going to tell you guys about a military disaster. Oh. It's been called the greatest British military disaster for the next hundred years. For the next hundred years? Yeah. So, it was in the 1840s. Okay. And it's meant to be the biggest military disaster until the fall of Singapore in World War II. Okay. Which is towards the end of World War II as well. So, um... Okay. Yeah, so I was gonna beat say out that, all the other ones before that, apparently. Uh-huh. I was <laughs> going to say that I feel like there's a lot of British military disasters to choose from. So if we're talking about one of the biggest, that's pretty big. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, um, this is going to be uh, bonkers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. We like bonkers. I'm yes. I'm yeah. definitely ready for this. Because <laughs> there's just a lot to unpack of what's going on. Because a lot of it is was down to just incompetence. <laughs> Oh, sure. Um, I didn't lead to good things. <laughs> yeah. No, usually, usually, well, a lot of military anything leads to bad things, but especially military disasters and incompetence. Incompetence mm. rarely leads to anything good. It leads to all bad things. Yes, it does. Sorry about that. Plug, ha, ha, ha. Just have to plug one. Cute little plug. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I, I, I encourage it on the show. <laughs> so. It's going to go back to the first Anglo-Afghan war, which is not the most recent one. Which is how many were there? Like, <laughs> well, this was know. the first. It has been <laughs> there funny. Were, there were more than one, obviously. I believe uh, conquering Afghanistan, if I'm not mistaken, goes all the way back to um, Alexander the Great, and he came upon that part of the, the world, and he was like, "It's not worth it," <laughs> and left Afghanistan. Like yes. His- I'm not sure, but I, it might have been. I might have my I might have my historical figure wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Alexander the Great, and he was conquering all these parts of that part of Earth, and came across Afghanistan. He was just like, no, not interested. Like too hot yeah. and too just desert and too too cold, too many mountains. Well, that's right. They do have blizzards there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of the and that's going to come in this. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. yay! <laughs> uh, because they have a particularly rough winter. Okay. Uh, but yes, yeah, so. Yeah, I'm going to be telling you about the 1842 retreat from Kabul, which okay. wow. was also known yeah. as the massacre of Elphinstone's army. Oh, okay. You know, it's going to be good when there's a massacre involved. Mm. And by good, I mean bad. <laughs> so Kabul is a pretty old city in Afghanistan. Because mm-hmm. it's the capital, I think. I probably should have looked that up, shouldn't I? I I, I mean, forgot. it's it's a city that I feel like I you, think you it hear is the capital of Afghanistan. Well, we still have troops over there. It's so. like I, I've I'm been both, looking at, both of our countries still do. It's like I've been I've been looking into it for the 1800s, and I, I completely forgot to check the modern day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I hear Because I didn't expect this to get 18 pages long. Like I said, it was meant to be a two. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it was meant to be a two-topic long episode, and right. I was just, like, I got halfway through, and I was just like. It ain't happening. It's just not. <laughs> so I think I dropped the ball a little bit last week. So I think this week I've got a good feeling about. So okay. yeah. <laughs> I listened to your episode today. I listened to your. I think it was your episode from last week. It was about the the lady who was hanged for the poisonings. Yes. Um, Chelsea. I, I'm sure my listeners won't mind a little bit of cat sounds in the background. <laughs> Ours have to put up with it regardless because it just happens. It does. I'm his favorite yeah. chair. Yeah. 
But yeah, apparently um, uh, ad uh, promos and stuff were a bit loud compared to the episode recently. But that's because I was um, doing the editing differently. Like, improved the, it improved the audio, mm. but um, I think I forgot to make it louder as well, apparently. Uh, because, because the uh, promos and stuff get inserted, like, after I upload it. Uh-huh. Um, because of, oh okay okay so, yeah because um, you're on the is that because of the the network that you're on now the yeah, murder league yeah because they're shared across all of our um uh, all of our okay. shows so mm-hmm. uh, yeah so it's definitely it's mine not theirs it's just i hadn't okay i didn't really think about them because they're, uh, because they're inserted afterwards <laughs> gotcha uh, because it's still it's still in the growing stages like it's, it's weird it feels like it's been so long but it's only been about six weeks um before you finish answering right? um uh, for listeners um, this week I'm recording with director James Cullen Bresick, yeah, which I'm really excited for, and the author Bob Van Leerhoven, who's written like 35 books or something like that, so a fair bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a few. Um, I, I always think of like um, just writing one book would be an enormous accomplishment. Yeah, Not a lot yeah. of people who are able to pump them out yeah. like that. However, somehow that's not the interesting part. I mean, it is the interesting part as well, because that's what he worked, <laughs> because that's what he's done. But um, the part that kind of caught my eye was that he was basically. Do you know? You know the Bosnian War. Yes, Bosnian War, like the. Yes, I know about, I know a little like, bit about it. That's, uh, uh, yeah. like, like back in the nineties. Yes. Yeah. Like the um, siege of Sarajevo, and um, like during the siege of Sarajevo, mm-hmm. he was actually in the city. Oh wow! Like, and. Um, then he, then he was also working with Doctors Without Borders during the oh, um, okay. uh, during it, and I think he was the first Western writer to speak with um, the Muslim refugees after this Serenica massacre. Oh wow! So okay. uh, yeah, and now he yeah now he um, raises horses because his um, oh. yeah his wife is a uh, equitherapist or something like that. Okay, yeah, uh-huh. which is super cool. Uh, on that, I think that's everything for the intro. Um, if not, I'm sure I'll remember later and then forget about it before we actually say anything. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all work out. Yeah. So let's cut to music and be right back. And we are back. So, we're going to talk about the 1842 retreat from Kabul. But, you know me, I like backgrounds. So, let's go with backgrounds. <laughs> um, we do that too a lot. Sometimes unnecessarily so, but... <laughs> yeah. I just kind of kept going until I was like, you know what, this is enough. So, yeah, we, let's talk about the first Afghan war. So, you know the British Empire, everyone knows the British Empire in some form <laughs> or other. Sometimes we, not we, for we this reason. Fun. We have kind of an idea about it in the United States. A yeah, little bit. A little bit. I mean, you guys probably get told about it more than we do, so. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, we Possibly. barely get told about it, so. <laughs> you guys are like, oh, we'll just sweep that one under the rug. We'll, we'll move on to the next one. And, and now, all of a sudden, in 1842? Mm-hmm. Yep, 1842 Afghanistan. Well, All right, that's quite a leap. So basically, the British Empire in the 19th century um, ruled India uh, through the East India Company. And basically, the East India Company was just a really powerful trading corporation that was based in London and was answerable to 
uh, the British Parliament. Okay. So the Br- Britain ruled India, uh, which was like south of Afghanistan-ish, I think. Geographically speaking. <laughs> so I, I hope that's right now because I didn't put it on my notes because I was yeah. so sure I was right and I was just like, <laughs> uh, so it's, I didn't actually look it up. <laughs> it's kind of like south and east, right? India's yeah. a little south and a little east of right. southeast. Still south. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Probably more south than east. Yeah, I'll go with that. I, I have no <laughs> like. I'm. I've been thinking in my mind. I'm like, exactly where is Afghanistan? I should know this, but I, I don't know. It's in the Middle East. Is about kind what we of, know. Yes. <laughs> And it also merges with. Oh, it's like, by Russia, right? Yes. Yeah, it's not too far because you because the Russian Empire was the, to the north. Yes. Okay. Okay. And essentially, yeah, one hundred and forty years later, mm-hmm. the Russian Empire would go into Afghanistan. Because mm-hmm. it was during the Crimean War they went into Afghanistan. Yeah, the British Empire to in India, and you got Russian Empire to the north and Afghanistan between them. Okay, that's like a. That's a sad sandwich the ottoman empire was turkey ish <laughs> yeah so so west of all this stuff going on so there was like india and british to the south and ottoman and turkish to the right the west and um, russia to, to the north yeah, there were empires all around this place yes. at this at this time i mean i'm pretty sure the ottoman empire ended less than 100 years ago so mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah, it ended uh, World War One. Yeah, that's when that, it ended. that sounds. But it lasted that, for four or five hundred years. Wow. Lasted for a long time. I mean, to be fair, World War One this November is going to be a hundred years from the end of it. It is. Oh, wow. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've got plans for that. Um, that <laughs> oh, week. very good. So, because I, I've had a few uh, World War One stories, I've been sitting on rages, being like, because hmm, oh. they're quite big. I was like, I don't know whether like. I'm going to tackle this, but I was like, yeah. now I've actually got a good time scale to do it for. <laughs> like, uh-huh. uh, yeah, like them. the 100th anniversary or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Your um, side of the world is much closer to World War One than our side of the world. So, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah we were very, very involved. That, that matter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we're lucky. We the Last time a, a war was fought on our soil was the Civil War, which happened in the 1860s. So, that was the last time and it was against ourselves it was against so. us we were against each other <laughs> so essentially the first half century was um you know france and britain had a pretty good uh rivalry going on for a few god knows, yes. how, god knows how many years uh-huh. um, well, essentially this is around when the um threat of the french kind of gave way to the threat of russia for Britain, <laughs> oh, okay, where which kind of led to the Crimean War in 1854. Um, so not long after this story, actually, yeah. Essentially, um, in 1838, uh, there was kind of an obsession with the British Empire, where, where um, Britain kind of assumed that the Russians were targeting India, which was controlled by Britain, oh. like to ex- basically extend the SARS Empire into Asia. Ish, they were like. If they do, they'll invade India for Afghanistan. It's like... So they were like, hmm, that country over there, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too fair, like, Russia wouldn't invade Afghanistan until uh, uh, 79 to 89 with the Soviet-Afghan war. So, oh, yes, okay. okay. When, when, I, when I say 79, to, wait, sorry, let me... Let me 1979. Let me, yeah. 
I was going to say 1979 mm-hmm. to 1980. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and in particular, um, a guy called Lord Auckland had this, uh, like, very strong opinion. And that basically pushed him into, to start the first Afghan war. Oh. Which ended up being one of Britain's pretty much most ill-advised. And, and you'll kind of find out for good reason why at this point. <laughs> and essentially, this period in the 19th century was... Um, it's referred to a lot but as the Great Game because there was a lot, a lot of it, East versus West going on. Oh, okay. About, especially over Southern Asia. But yeah, um, the first Afghan war, like, I mean, it wasn't so much a defeat for Britain as it was um, humiliation. <laughs> 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 well, when it went right for the master, like, towards the end of it. <laughs> okay. But it started off pretty well. <laughs> it started off well, but then the middle bit didn't go too well, and then it ended really badly. <laughs> yeah, because, this um, might be the war where they coined the phrase "It's not how you start, it's how you finish." Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Essentially, uh, until this war, um, the Sirka, which was basically the Indian kind of colloquial name for the East India Company, oh, okay, um, S I R K A R, um, basically, and the British generally had a. They had a pretty overwhelming reputation for um, just efficiency and power. <laughs> like okay. The yes. British, the, the British yeah. were essentially considered to be uncomfortable at this point until right. this war. <laughs> R- okay. <laughs> and this is the event that essentially uh, cinched it. Okay. So basically, um, after Dost Mohammed Barakzai basically seized power from the former ruler of uh, Afghanistan, who was called Shuja Shah Dirani in 34 like basically both britain and russia kind of went like tried to make relations and basically he rejected a lot of um like protections from russia but after lord auckland from who was the guy that kind of controlled india at the time uh, the british guy uh, mm-hmm. he tried to force an afghan foreign policy under the british guidance so oh, okay. yeah dost mohammed essentially renewed his relationship with the russians Kind of realizing that they kind of had this renewed relationship, uh, Lord Auckland followed the counsel of his advisor, William Heyman Norton, who kind of comes up for a bit, to support okay. Shudder Shah, who had been um, kind of deposed before, and dismissing the advice of a guy called Alexander Burns as well, who was um, also pretty an advisor and pretty high okay. up. And basically, uh, Alexander Burns was, was like, you should, we should support Dost Mohammed, but instead followed the advice of McNaughton to seek a military solution. Oh, because that always works out the best. <laughs> um, let's forego diplomacy and let's go full on military. That's the, the American military. way. Yes, so, that is the American way. <laughs> well, well, we, we, you uh, learned from the British, didn't you? We learned from the best. That's how we all wound up here. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll just throw bombs at it, and everything will be fine. And it's worth noting that, like when I said a uh, big military disaster, you got to think at this time, people were using muskets and cannons. Yeah. yeah. And swords. Yeah. Said to be the biggest disaster until Singapore, which was right. three years before the A-bomb. Right. <laughs> and, that, right. and that time technology was around. It's a pretty big disaster. Yes. Um, yeah, and- I, mean, the, uh, I mean, really, the American Revolution is kind of a blip on the radar for the British Empire. Because mm-hmm. it's, not like, it's not like they crumbled everywhere else. It was just like, okay, we lost this territory. So we'll just take over some more shit. 
Like the British Empire really didn't come to an end until like the World War One, World War Two era. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. in between all that time, it was just like, okay, we lost the continents, whatever. We've got India, we've got this, we've got, we've got Northern Africa, we've got Australia. They still controlled most of the world for a long time. Mm-hmm. At, and also at this time period, like it's not my notes, but I was watching a documentary. Um, I can't remember what it's called actually. I just watched it like two, like two or three hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but essentially, at this point, a lot of the British rule, like. Like if you're like socially connected and stuff, you could pr- you could rise up pretty strong. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Without, like without being actually good at things. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. A lot of the higher ups would be because they were connected or had high social standing. Like the social ladder climbers, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah. The uh, Paris Hiltons of their day. I was gonna say yeah. now. <laughs> now it just means how many hits you get on YouTube. Right. Right. <laughs> or Twitter. Or, t- or all all of the. All of the social media. All the social media. Yeah, but that didn't mean all of them were incompetent. Right. Like, no. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but because most likely some of them were. Yeah, which we'll get into later. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and yeah, so essentially, um, they started assembling their armies uh, in late uh, 1838, and the army was under the command of General Sir Willoughby Cotton, with uh, Magnorton as his chief advisor. Sir Willoughby. Cotton. Sir Willoughby Cotton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a couple of. Um, like there were a few different numbers that I could that I got. Like Wikipedia said, it it was made, it was made up of twenty thousand men with thirty eight thousand mm-hmm. camp followers, and camp followers were just essentially just craftsmen, cooks, servants, oh. uh, stretcher bearers, wow. all that kind of stuff, armorers, uh, and as well as families of both Indian and British soldiers. Uh, so the army was made up of both Europeans and the Indian soldiers, which were oh, called okay. sepoys. Um, yes, I've I've heard that term before. Yes. Hmm. Um, and also, Sir Willoughby Cotton must have known how to choke a man out in front of thousands of people, like, instantly, to be taken seriously. Like, who, <laughs> As a man named Willoughby Cotton. <laughs> who, who, who wants to follow Sir Willoughby Cotton? Take, Pro- probably nobody, until he chokes a man out. Take out the Sir and <laughs> Willoughby <laughs> Cotton. <laughs> or just mix up the name, Willoughby Sir Cotton, or Cotton Sir Willoughby, or whatever. Cotton Sir Willoughby. <laughs> That's not somebody you want to follow. So he must have been a fucking badass. <laughs> to get people to yeah, do it, Ben. Oh, man. I mean, too fat at the time, you don't really say no to the British Empire. <laughs> yeah, I, fair I, I guess not, but He had still, clout behind him, that's yeah, the thing. But still, I, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping for his sake, you know, he knew how to choke a man out within like a couple of seconds. Yeah, just to... And bayonet them. Someone's, yeah, someone's watching that. a lot of Game of Thrones, I think. Uh, <laughs> something like that. Sorry, I do too. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, while, but meanwhile, um, North America Review uh, in July 1842 uh, made a publication on the British in Afghanistan. And um, a letter from Lord Auckland up to the Secret Committee in London, which is dated on the 13th of March, thirty-nine said that dispatches were sent for 27,000 soldiers. So it's probably somewhere between those two numbers. Uh, it's kind of hard to say because at the time everything was sent by letter, I think. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, but meanwhile, oh, this is just a little side story I put in because um, kind of shows a bit like, just like what some of the British were like. Not all of them were the same, but there was also like communication differences in between them. Like all these dispatches were sent from different part, different parts of the world or various areas. But one dispatch was uh, by Lieutenant General Sir John Keane, and 
it was basically to arrive off the mouth of the Indus River and march up uh, the Indus to Bakur. Through a state that the British were at peace with, and they had treaties like of mm-hmm. basically friendship and trade and stuff. Uh, but he arrived at the off the mouth of Indus, the Indus, and they came across the town of uh, Kurachi, which basically had a small fortress, and decided that the it would be useful if they had the fortress for communication mm-hmm. purposes, but uh, for the uh, expedition, because mm-hmm. Bakur was three hundred miles inland, essentially. Okay. Uh, so Admiral Maitland, who was the naval commander in chief, ar- arrived there with the ship, the Wellesley, with the 40th Regiment and the de- detachment of European artillery on the 1st of February 1839. And that night was met by the steamships Berenice and Euphrates uh, with the Royal Naval Infantry. And the next morning they sent a message to the fort saying why they'd come there and um, informing their commandant that the possession was necessary for the security of vessels uh, in the service of them and to make sure that they get supplies needed. So he's required to surrender it to the British forces. Promise. Treaties and stuff of friendship. <laughs> um, friendship. And, they, and they gave him a quarter of an hour to make a decision. <laughs> like you get 15 minutes. Yep. Time starts now. And was told that if he refused to surrender, means would be adopted by taking it for force. <laughs> so it was a false, it wasn't even a choice. <laughs> not really. Yeah, not, uh, not really. You have, you have 15 minutes to absorb the fact that we're taking over one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we can either do it by force or by treaty. Yeah. So it's the, the officer declined and uh, <laughs> five companies were landed and posted out and the second summons was sent for him to surrender, uh, which he declined again. And the batteries were open. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh boy. And within an hour, the whole south wall of the fortress was uh, basically destroyed. And in the meantime, the men who held the fort uh, taken shelter on the opposite side and were made prisoners of the troops. No, nope. mm. that the men who the men who held the fort numbered about twenty. <laughs> oh, that's it. Uh, well, oh, wow. I think it was twenty to forty. So yeah. So friends. <laughs> yeah. And in March 1839, they, um, their army overall crossed the Berlin Pass and began their march to Kabul after they kind of amassed. So um, how many... I've lost, I've lost track now. Roughly how many, like, people are involved in this now? The overall number was 20,000 to 27,000 soldiers. Okay, okay. Plus however many camp followers. Right, and there was a lot, right? Yeah, probably... A lot of followers? Yeah, probably one and a half times as many camp followers on top of it, I guess. Right. Uh, to two times as many. You know, is yeah, it's a lot. Right. Yeah. So the the number of like military people is twenty to twenty seven thousand, but then they've got like thirty thousand people or something yeah, like that. Like, like the, on. I think the low, low counts are about thirty seven thousand, thirty eight thousand. Wow. Numbers. So there's over fifty thousand people at this point. Well over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> probably, like, it's probably about sixty yeah. seventy thousand people. Um, wow, Jesus! That's a, um, that's a town, a not small town. Yeah, that's a that's a small that's city. A city. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back, back then, it was probably a large city. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that would be like the. Yeah, it's a small city today. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you only have sixty to seventy thousand people. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, one hundred and sixty years ago, that would have been a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah, seventy thousand people in one area would have been. Oh, that's a lot. And mobilizing that many people. Yeah. That's like, 
that's kind of astounding to me mm-hmm. that they could all move together, <laughs> you yeah. know. It's also worth noting that, um, just for morale purposes, that um, a lot of the East Indian Company army uh, were pretty unsure about crossing the Indus because uh, they had been leaving, leaving India and risking caste, essentially. essentially. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and on top of that, the uh, conditions of the country were not great in, like, when they were, not yeah. going to. Like, oh, like no. During their travels, uh, troops died of heat, disease, and lack of supplies. Just because I've put it in here, uh, so I should, like just to paint you a bit of picture. Like British infantry would wear red, <laughs> red cutaway jackets, white trousers, and shako hats. Uh, with with <laughs> yeah, um, just not not what you want to be wearing. Yeah, with, in those uh, conditions. Yeah, with old brown uh, best mus- muskets and bayonet with bayonets. Uh, with the Indian infantry also was similarly armed and uniformed. So the rough terrain included deserts, and the mountain passes were up to four thousand meters or thirteen thousand feet high. Yeah. Um, but they made pretty good progress and they, they took Kandahar uh, on the 25th of April and then they set their sights on Ghazni on 22nd of July which is essentially a near impregnable fortress because it was on a mountain top wow um, today's the 22nd of July yes it is, it is. I didn't I notice so. that yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it <laughs> good spot I didn't notice that but lucky for them one of the Kashmiris in the, in the service of Burns, it was called uh, Mohan Lal. He knew Ghazni pretty well and had contacts in the city. Oh. And he proved to be a pretty good spy. And oh. uh, through his intelligence sources, they, uh, the British learned that all but one of the city's gates had been walled up from the inside by its defenders. Ooh. And at nightfall, uh, there was a big storm that kind of blew up. So General Keane basically ordered a series of attacks on the barricade gates while a party of sappers essentially went to the unguarded one and managed to place 300 pounds of black powder charges. Uh-oh. Um, which I'm not sure how much is it in kilos, but... So 300 pounds is 136 kilos. But yeah, they, so they managed to do that in front of the uh, unguarded gate without being discovered. Like, note that like, these Indian companies had a... Like, not only did they have a re- reputation for being um, ridiculously strong and unconquerable, they also had a reputation mm-hmm. for good luck. And it really shows here... <laughs> like, oh. with, with them, finding, <laughs> sure. with them finding the gate. And, right. on, top, and on top of that, despite the storm, they managed to light the fuse fine and get away safely. Oh, wow. Yeah. Undete- yeah. And, yeah, get away safety undetected. It's not like Zippo's existed in 1842. And the gate was, was literally blown to pieces. Wow. And a British storming party led by uh, someone called Captain Denny burst through the gap and. Captain uh, Denny? Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> Captain Denny. It just reminds me of like Captain Howdy or something. <laughs> like, Captain Denny. I'm Captain Denny. Like Captain Kangaroo. I don't know. It just sounds like a kid's show character. <laughs> it Captain does. You're Denny. not wrong. <laughs> Captain Denny. <laughs> Sorry. That was my rant. I'm Sorry. Captain Denny. <laughs> She's like, this is going to be fun. Captain Denny. <laughs> Captain <is> here. Denny's here. <laughs> but yes. Um, so a British storming party led by Captain Denny essentially went, got through the gap uh, and just went straight into Galsney. It's worth noting that after all, like, after all this, this explosion, there'll be like, there'll essentially be actually smoke everywhere and a lot of confusion. Yeah. Like one of the buglers, uh, the, the trumpet people, or whatever, like, right. uh, with the uh, support troops, um, who was called Wilson, essentially became uh, so unnerved that instead of sounding an attack, he began blowing retreat. And uh, other scholars uh, insist that uh, Brigadier uh, Robert Sale, 
who comes up later as well, essentially unable to see through the smoke and uh, convinced that the gate destruction left a, a pile of rubble in its wake, ordered him to sound a retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was and it was the bugler who um, essentially took grasp of the situation and sounded an attack instead. Two different stories. Hard to say which one was right because it was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, and within an hour, Gasney was theirs. Oh wow! And, yeah, they captured an the fort. Yeah, they captured the fortress, losing between seventeen to two hundred men, depending on the source. Oh wow! Uh-huh. Uh, while the while the Afghan forces lost nearly five hundred men and had sixteen hundred taken prisoner, with an unknown wow. number wounded. So if the math adds up, it was like a little more than 2,000 or 2,000-ish hmm. Afghan people in the fortress? It's about 2,100-ish. Okay. Uh, that's... And they, t- they took over that many people in and out. Yeah, but it, yeah, I'm not sure whether that was just the military forces or also civilians. Oh. It's hard to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it could have been either. Like, it said that mm-hmm. um, 50 people were beheaded by Shah Shooter's executioners before the British yeah. could in- intervene. Oh, oh, okay. Which is something to remember for later, because he comes up again. Uh-oh. Yeah. So they got a bunch of supplies, which uh, helped them a lot, mm-hmm. because otherwise the further advance would have been pretty difficult. Like, the Indian soldiers were already dying on the way to the, on the, way to, um, the right. last place. And yeah, so, he rest, so General Keane rested his troops in Ghazni until late June, essentially giving it there a long enough time to relieve the locals of their food stores. Right. <laughs> um... <laughs> And less than a week later, they reached Kabul on August 7th, with only encountering uh, little bits, little pockets of resistance on the way. Okay. And well, and if they overtook a fortress in an hour, I'm sure those little pockets of resistance were like, mm-hmm. oh, that's just a five-minute project over there. <laughs> yeah. And um, Kabul fell without a fight on this. Oh, wow. Yeah. As following the losses previous, Dost Mohammed, who had taken the throne in Kabul, essentially um, fled and sought refuge, refuge within the wilds of the Hindu Kush. And Shuja Shah re- returned and was proclaimed emir by the British. Oh. And, yeah, he established a court in the fortress of Balahisar, which was above Kabul. Okay. And essentially, from London to pretty much anywhere between, anywhere between London and India and there, the army was pretty much uh, legendary. <laughs> for doing oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it is like, the stuff of Game of Thrones and the stuff of uh, legend yeah, sounding, very, yeah. Very much so. Like uh, William and Norton received uh, word that Queen Victoria had made him a baronet, mm. and Queen Victoria was young at the time. And General Keane was turned into an earl and was named Lord Keane of Gasney. If you need any more material, let me know, and I will ask you the difference between a lord and an earl and a baronet. <laughs> no idea that's a good question just... because neither do i okay <laughs> they're just all honorifics right like given by yeah. um, are they royally bestowed specifically um oh it's a, it's a nobility it's also these are like eight, 1800s titles right so it could have been something really like, different back then yeah, it's yeah. Like, i'm not a historian i'm a geologist <laughs> <laughs> like, you're a rock historian i was gonna say being a geologist is a historian, type of historian. Just, just not with people yeah ask me about 200 million years ago maybe <laughs> yeah well you can't ask any human about 200 million years ago because yeah, we, we did not exist in our current form until 
mm-hmm. way beyond that. I was taught that that the whole world was created six thousand years ago, so <laughs> I'm not the person to ask about evolutionary history. Yeah. So about just over a year later, in November 1840, during a raid into Koristan, two squadrons of Bengal cavalry essentially um, failed to follow their officers in a charge against a small force of Af- Afghans led by Dost Mohammed. But soon afterwards, despite, like, essentially being like, I don't want to live in the mountains anymore, he surrendered to yeah. McNaughton and went into exile in India, which was owned by the British, yeah. uh, and was escorted by a division of British and Indian troops, which were no longer required in Afghanistan, and accompanied by Sir Willoughby Cotton. <laughs> Willoughby Cotton! <laughs> yep. I'm going to say his full name anytime he comes up. Just, yes. Just, just for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And do we get to hear from Captain Demi again? <laughs> uh, unfortunately not. Oh, no, no, he was just a side character. It's all Sir Willoughby yeah. Cotton's game from was, here on out. It was too good to be true. He was just a little, little side mm-hmm. character. Too bad Cotton doesn't really come up much anymore. I, I think he does towards the end, I'm not sure. Uh, Naughton yeah. isn't as interesting as Sir yeah. Willoughby Cotton. Sir Willoughby yeah. Cotton. But he's left now, so... <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, so let's go back to when um, they actually took Kabul and started occupying it. Mm. Um, that was just there because I wasn't wasn't quite sure where the timeline worked out there mm-hmm. for a bit. So um, yeah, essentially at first all went pretty well. Like essentially the uh, army, which was super strong, and British money bribes and stuff mm-hmm. um, kept all the Afghan tribes uh, controllable. Like, it bribed all the all the emirs and stuff, and they also like kind of sent forays into surrounding districts just to like be like. We're here. Don't worry. We know. <laughs> like, uh, uh-huh. um, so yeah, and basically, Norton became a, a political agent and envoy in the, at Shujah Shah's court, and oh, okay. became a leader of British society in Kabul. Like the city is generally described as being clean and pleasant, with a lot of uh, spacious wooden houses uh, surrounded by well-kept gardens. Very pleasant. <laughs> How British. Uh, sounds nice. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah, and the occupiers essentially enjoyed them, like spent their time with cricket matches, horse races, hunting parties. Uh, with, mm-hmm. in, and in the evenings, amateur dramatics were staged by the East India Company officers and their wives. Um, <laughs> so uh, they were just uh, having tea and playing cricket and putting on plays having and a, having a great time, tending yeah. their gardens. Yeah. <laughs> but do you remember um, Brigadier General Sale? That sounds familiar. I don't recall his role. Um, prior to this he was in there somewhere so yeah we've always so they did all this drama and stuff and it like in particular it was meant to be a honor to be invited to lady sales um events and t- so, yeah uh, and that's i only bring that up because uh, she comes up a few times actually okay and yeah like social gatherings like like often, like it's, they were served stuff like salmon and stew with madeira wine port champagne <laughs> so they were enjoying themselves and um yeah it sounds like it <laughs> yeah and yeah so under these conditions a lot of the east india company troops were sent back to their garrisons in india and stuff okay and shah shuja was like on the throne obviously it was pretty quiet so general cotton and keen left and t- took most of their troops with them so william McNaughton, as the baronet was essentially left in charge of kabul uh, for the british okay so uh, there was less of a less of a military presence, basically. Yeah. Uh, so so basically, they they were still occupying, but yeah. So basically, um, he was in control of both military and political judgments. Okay. Okay. Was not a great thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, because and because they were so comfortable, they um, 
also decided to like not stay in the Balahissa fortress above Kabul, oh. which was a mistake. Yes. <laughs> Uh, in favor of a pretty airy out, like outdoor cantonment, which is like a okay. little camp, uh-huh. probably about a mile or two outside the city. Yeah, not a great idea. Like it was, yeah. like, it was beautiful. Like it was picturesque. All that. <laughs> it had orchards, proto fields. However, from a military point of view, it was less than ideal because it was, for one, it was decided to house the uh, commissariat, which essentially what the department that supplied food and equipment and stuff. Oh, okay. Um, and the storehouses were in separate buildings, which were well beyond the perimeter of the cantonment. Okay. And the plane they were on, when they built it, was laced with irrigation ditches. Essentially, what that meant was, uh, if they were get, if they got attacked, there was a system of ready-made trenches. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. And on top of that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was surrounded by hills. With, with old ruins in it. Okay. Which were perfect uh-huh. for Maybe. people to watch. Or... More strategic. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, they were in the giant punch bowl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And needless to say, the Afghans weren't very happy to be uh, under occupation by a foreign power in their own country. Yeah. Especially because they replaced Dost Mohammed with uh, Shuja Shah. And Dost Mohammed was relatively popular. While Shuja uh-huh. Shah was um, as uh, indicated before, was um, seen as much more cruel to his enemies. Because mm-hmm. like, if you remember, he beheaded like 50 people. 50 That's people. right, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, less than ideal. And they were so comfortable that, they, that a lot of the British and Indian force even summoned their families to join them. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> they even built a race course. <laughs> 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 So they're just making themselves at home. Yeah. Like, there were other voices like uh, Major Rawlinson, who was in post in Kandahar, who kind of warned about uh, discontent at Afghan masses and stuff. And on top of that, Shuja Shah would uh, raise raise taxes, which is never a good idea when you're you're just occupying somewhere. somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, a hard sell when everybody's happy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And... One guy from who was posted in the countryside north of the capital, uh, called Ed- Eldred Pottinger, who was um, known as the hero of Herat from another um, battle, I believe. That would make sense. <laughs> there are a lot of different places. I didn't get a chance to research all of them. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he also sent messages to McNaughton warning him that um, essentially that they were living in a fourth paradise. Yeah. Um, but McNaughton like kept assuring people that it was all right. Yeah, never mind all of these terrible yeah, things but, that, and the evidence, overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Yeah. Everything's fine. But people even within the cantonment uh, started feeling unease and stuff, but nothing was done about it. So yeah, not the greatest situation to be in. Yeah. <laughs> but despite what you say. Like, there's a lot of um, incompetence. Okay. Uh, let's go to 1840. So the son of Dost Mohammed, Wazir Akbar Khan, started assembling allies within the, among the tribesmen in the rural areas, like, especially where the British influence was weakest. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started a guerrilla war, which kept the troops permanently on the move, essentially. Oh, wow. Um, so Gilzai tribes in, Kyber, in the Khyber repeatedly attacked British supply columns from India. The uh, tribal revolt essentially made northern Baluchistan ungovernable, mm-hmm. and Shah Shuja's um, rule didn't really run outside the main cities. In December 1840, despite this, Shah Shuja and McNaughton withdrew to Jalalabad, 
because the uh, Afghan winter was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and they returned to Kabul in uh, spring of eighty of eighteen forty one. But when they did leave, they were uh, they found their tr- like even their columns attacked by uh, v- like by the guerrilla troops as well. Mm-hmm. on top of this, uh, the efforts to control Afghanistan uh, were weakened by the British government in India, where they sent oh. the troops from, because uh-huh. it was expensive to keep a large garrison in Kabul. <laughs> for one. Yeah. And on top of that, um, they were paying uh, periodic bribes to uh, various tribes around the region to keep them from unpleasant things. <laughs> yeah. bad, bad things, almost. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All bad things. Yeah. You, you said it this time, not me. Yes. <laughs> you were waiting for me to do it. <laughs> I was. So uh, essentially, they discontinued the bribes. Oh, and after these ending ended, of course, the tribes didn't really see much more reason to remain loyal to the British support. No, but Minolton still dismissed Mortons from his offices. Like he even wrote to his superiors in India uh, to quote, "This is this usual state of Afghan society." <laughs> Damn. All right then. Mm-hmm. Like I said, a lot of it was um, like a lot of them were kind of got promoted very fast, like because if they had good social standing. No, I think you could get promoted uh-huh, to uh-huh. lieutenant without any, like, it, like straight away. No experience? Yeah. <laughs> Just from connections. That's yeah, a good way to, to build up a military. <laughs> yeah. Like, it wasn't based on merit at the time. Like, yeah. Like raising it. So, and as the year progressed, uh, spring goes past, summer goes past, and British freedom movement around Kabul uh, starts becoming uh, more and more restricted. Mm. But, so good times. Mm-hmm. Things are going just fine, according to McNaughton. <laughs> yeah. But despite this, uh, uh, Sir William Cotton was placed as commander of the remaining troops by, after he left, by Sir William Elphinstone, uh, who was... Wait, Ill- Sir William <laughs> what? Elphinstone. Elphinstone, which is... Elphinstone? Which yeah. <laughs> 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 names, names are fantastic. The names are... Yeah, that, that's spelled E-L-P-H-I-N, Stone. <laughs> oh, Elphin. Yeah. Stone. Elfinstone. Yeah, but Still he, a funny yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who, but he was ill at the time and initially unwilling to accept the appointment because it would put off his retirement. He was oh. old. Uh, he was old Elfinstone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was like, uh, he, he was like 41. <laughs> right, probably. At, at this time, like yeah. you were old when you were 41. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this is essentially the example of someone that rose up through his connections. Oh, okay. uh, as he entered the British Army in 1804 as a lieutenant. That was a ways back, so he was older than 41. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he basically he got a lot of social standing and, f- and stuff uh, in his during service, which made him rise even mm. further, um, as he okay. saw service throughout the Napoleonic Wars. Oh! Uh, and he made the rank of lieutenant colonel by 1813, and became commander of the 33rd Regiment of the Foot, which he led at the Battle of Waterloo. In 1815. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, for his action at Waterloo, he was made a companion of the Bath, as well as a knight of the Dutch Order of William and the Russian Order of St. Anna, second class. And I have no idea what any of those mean. Don't worry. <laughs> Neither do we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he left the regiment in 1822. He was promoted to colonel in 1825. And after that, he served for a time as aide de camp, or basically personal assistant. Or one one off to King George the Fourth, oh, and was promoted to Major General in 1837. So essentially, he was a man of high birth and perfect manners. But it was known that he wasn't a great commander. Because, like even his um, mm-hmm. even one of his colleagues and 
like at the time, General William Knott, N-O-T-T, uh, even called him the most incompetent soldier who ever became general. <laughs> There's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> yep. That's a um, backhand compliment. <laughs> I don't even think it's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's an, there's just a big backhand to that. Yeah. Just a backhand, yeah. <laughs> He's too incompetent to know it wasn't yeah, a compliment. Was like, Sounds great. <laughs> yeah, stories kept uh, started trickling back to the cantonment of attacks uh, on remote British outposts uh, that, that essentially on the route back to India. Uh, and these were also the, on- the, the cantonment's only communication linked to the outside world. Mm. But Elphinstone dismissed these reports out of, as wild rumors, and <laughs> and never and never bothered to investigate further. Of, of course, that's the best um, way to lead. Yep. <laughs> like from what I can tell, he was even worse than McNaughton. Like essentially. Oh wow! And that's saying something. Yeah. And even this, like even Burns, who was pretty celebrated, was uh, either unable or unwilling to acknowledge the how precarious the, the situation was. Oh, wow. Um, and. Burns and several other officers had even taken up residence within Kabul itself. Oh wow! Like away from the away from all the rest of the army. So uh, yeah, they're like we're safer here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, there was basically nobody high up who was yeah. paying um, any attention. Essentially, not only was uh, the officers in command indecisive and like lacking in initiative and stuff, mm-hmm. Elphinstone also had enough personality to stop lower downs from taking the place of it oh yeah so it's yeah essentially like like he was strong enough to be like okay i'm not gonna do anything but also who are you to do anything in our place <laughs> right so yeah essentially any the only senior officer left in afghanistan with uh, any credible authority was brigadier knots who was the garrison ca- commander at kandahar which is a pretty which is a good distance away yeah so everything is just set up for Sheer British success here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or lack thereof. Exactly. But yeah, so um, in October 1841, uh, Brigadier Sale and his brigade were recalled out of Kabul to Jalalabad, which was on the military line of communication between Kabul and Peshawar, as uh, essentially this was part of force reductions. Um, and they began marching through the mountain passes uh, to Peshawar in India. And during the journey, they were subject to repeated attacks by Gilzai tribesmen and mm. retainers of the Kabul Amirs. Like his brigade, including which included the 13th Foot, uh, fought through to Gandamak, where a message re- was received summoning the force back to Kabul, but Sale didn't uh, comply with the order and, and continued to Jalalabad because of all the mm. attacks. Mm. Um, worth noting that he left his wife, Lady Sale, uh, in Kabul oh. uh, in the canton. Yeah. On November the first, eighteen forty-one, Mohan Lal, who you might remember from the from the um, attack on the fortress earlier, oh okay, the uh, essentially the guy that uh, told him about the gate. Oh right, right, yes. Informed his master that um, the situation in Kabul was deteriorating rapidly, and that mm. there was talk of the locals on an attack on uh, Burns's house. Oh wow! Because basically he answered to Burns, and it was and the attack was meant to be the following day, but Burns uh, essentially boasted. About, of having a more intimate knowledge of the region and its people than any other Englishman alive. <gasps> and on November the 2nd, which was the next day, Akbar Khan proclaimed a general revolt and the citizens of Kabul essentially quickly followed suit. And early in the morning, mobs essentially started forming in front of Burns' house. Oh, and... <laughs> it's never a good sign when a mob is forming yeah. anywhere. <laughs> and Especially as... outside of your yeah. house. Yes. 
And as the hours passed, as apparently he let mob throw for hours, um, <laughs> the numbers grew bigger and more and more and more bold, and it, like throwing shouts and insults, uh, for, like at the building and etc. And on top of that, there were room, like rumors were spread of a vast hoard of gold within, hidden within the house. Oh, may or may not have been true. Not sure. Right. But um, but with the rumors, they began to riot, um. and. Um, but Burns tried to reason with the writers because, as he'd charmed the Afghans many times before. <laughs> tried to reason being the key words. Once mm-hmm. things have reached a riot, yeah. reason is a is gone. Is a yeah. difficult <laughs> tactic to yeah. implement. Yeah, reason's now, gone. Yeah. Now, so when that didn't work, so he ordered them. To, so he ordered them to disperse. Oh. Uh, but they called his bluff and refused to leave. Uh huh. However, then he made a bigger mistake. A bigger mistake. <laughs> yeah. He offered them money. Oh. And so they were all like, how much? Right. And essentially they were like, why would we take some money when we could take it all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, have you seen how many people are here? <laughs> right. Yeah. So clearly you have money. So now we want all of your money. Mm-hmm. Um, because remember, they, there was rumors of a, a vast horde of gold. Right. Um, and he's kind of stoking that yeah. and, idea yeah. by offering them money. Yeah, yeah he offered them money. Uh, essentially, he said he would give them gold. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> <well>. specifically. <laughs> uh, which I think was kind of uh, currency they used that was made of gold anyway. So. Right, right. That um, uh, yeah, so they stormed his house and killed both him and his staff. Oh, um, yeah. Mm. And yep. especially both Elphinstone and McNaughton were caught by complete surprise. Because at this point, the East Indian Company only had about 4,500 men in and around Kabul, out uh, of which 690 were Europeans. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and um, despite the sounds of gunfire and the howling of the mob uh, being, like, being able to be clearly heard in the cantonment, Elphinstone took no action in response to the killing. <laughs> Um, so he just let it happen, and he was like, "Okay." Like too fair, it was unclear whether whether they realized that they realized that he was the target of the mob. Oh yeah. Um, and he ordered some of his troops into Kabul, but they were sent to the um, Balahisar uh, fortress to protect uh, oh. to protect Shuja Shah even. And Shuja Shah did send some of his own men to try and help Burns. Mm. They kind of realized that it's a lot of dudes and they basically yeah and they hightailed it <laughs> we are outnumbered never mind yeah and essentially by, by the time the british force arrived they were, they were already advising shooter shah that they might have to run for their lives oh wow yeah um, yeah and essentially from what i can tell it's generally said that it's only thought that if the british reacted with um as they should have with a uh, vigor and severity uh mm-hmm. the kabul uprising mm-hmm. uh, probably would have been controlled Elfstone uh, didn't really do anything, and and all he really did was refuse to give his deputy uh, Brigadier Shelton the the authority to take the measures for him. <laughs> like he, so he oh. actually refused. He didn't even have to do anything. He was just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. But basically, on when the British kind of learned that um, Hal Burns died, a lot of the younger officers went to essentially tear the city of Kabul down around their heads, around their heads. Oh, wow, um, but. From this period, no mandate was received. Man, and essentially, even the even the Afghans were amazed, kind of. Yeah, and they 
it's essentially they were expecting a really heavy like retort, and essentially they kind of realized that they'd just gotten away with murder. <laughs> yeah, of a with impunity, of, basically. Yeah, of a senior officer. Yeah, and you just say this kind of kept a much bigger change in attitude towards their yeah. occupiers. They kind of and they kind of thought, you know what, the British might not be quite so invincible. Yeah. Uh, and the number yeah. of writers swelled with each passing day, and the British mm-hmm. kept doing nothing. And on the 9th of November, the uh, Afghans stormed a poorly defended supply fort inside Kabul, and just for some kind of um, picture picturing, uh, Gilzai tribesmen generally carried swords and swords and uh, jezails, which were which were long barrel muskets. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Worth noting that they had a longer range than the British models. And were pretty, oh, okay. and they were still pretty accurate. So yeah, um, on November fifteen, um, Major Eldred Pottinger, who you may remember earlier, warned uh, uh, warned about uh, tensions, um, mm-hmm. along with three other half dead men, uh, and himself himself badly wounded, um, uh-huh. reached the cantonment after a forty mile trek from Charaka, which was an isolated garrison post north of Kabul. And kind of informed him that uh, Elphinstone, that uh, the garrison's defenders, who were the men of the 4th Gurkha Regiment, had been attacked and overwhelmed by approximately 20,000 Afghan tribesmen 10 days before. Yikes! Yikes! <laughs> yeah. So, like, they, they, they dragged themselves 40 miles, like, yeah. wounded. <laughs> Did they finally believe them? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Um, <laughs> like, um, and essentially, of the 750 men at arms and their families, and the families was estimated about 140 children, women and children ish. Uh-huh. Uh, only part, only the small group that arrived had avoided destruction. Yikes! Four men. <laughs> wow. And despite him being in command of 4,500 men, Elfstone still did nothing essentially, <laughs> and he kept hold up in the encampment. Oh man, that's more than. That's more than um, incompetence. That's getting into like, I don't know, what's like gross inaction? Mm-hmm. Like gross yeah. negligence almost? Yeah, kind of, but like worse. Yeah. Almost, it, it's, it's almost like desertion, except instead of say, going somewhere, they just sort of hid. It's, it's like desertion with like a drop of traitorism. Yeah, there's treason. Traitorism. Traitorism. word. With also like a, like a mostly just it's cowardly. Kind of, yeah. It is, yeah, at this point. Like they're unaffected almost. Yeah, or they just don't care. They're yeah. so high up. They're yeah, like, it they're doesn't like, mean anything. They're like, them. it'll still be fine for us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, the 23rd November comes around, and uh, Afghan forces, they see it, occupied a hill which is overlooking the cantonments. But remember, this was essentially a punch bowl. <laughs> right, uh, right. Yeah, and they began bombarding the camps with, with two big guns. A British force moved out to drive them away, but um, the Afghans in- inflicted heavy casualties with their long, the long-range uh, muskets because they were firing at long range from high ground. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so the British fled, leaving behind 300 wounded to be killed. Uh, oh, I need man. to say, morale was not great right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh, would not think yeah. so. At this point, Elphinstone called for reinforcements for, from Major General Knott in Kandahar, 
but they turn back once they realize that the mountain passes were blocked by heavy snow. Oh, okay. Because at this point it was cold. <laughs> yeah, well, this is this is November, so yeah. Yeah. So at this at this point, uh, Akbar Khan finally entered Kabul uh, at the head of six thousand men and took charge of the situation essentially. And um, after r- rallying all the Kabul people, he was pretty soon in command of 30,000 Afghan fighters. Wow. And also saw to it that the merchants in Kabul no longer supplied the British with food or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially the country was cut off from the outside world. Yeah. Yikes. Mm-hmm. 25th of November comes around. Um, this has and- been a bad month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not been great. <laughs> Muhammad Akbar offers to parley with the uh, British on the banks of the nearby Kabul River. And there he demanded that they agree to the immediate end of Shuja's rule and his father, Dost Muhammad, be returned to the throne at once. On top of that, the British should agree to leave Afghanistan and never return. Those, se- those seem like fair terms, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, they appear to have the leverage to request it as oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they're throwing it out there. Yeah. They're like, we're just going to put this out there. You guys, you know. Consider your options. Yeah. Why don't you marinate it on it for a <laughs> night? Yeah, get back to us. Yeah. And until the end of the year, they were pretty much harried constantly. It said that by the 15th of December, they only had enough supplies for three days. Oh, yeah. yikes. Mm-hmm. So they're done. Need to say, Minotan at this point kind of realized the desperate situation and tried to yeah. negotiate an agreement with Akbar Khan for the withdrawal of the troops. Yeah. There's nothing to negotiate. They have no yeah. leverage yeah. whatsoever. They waited a little, a wee bit too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he tried to negotiate with the withdrawal of troops and 12,000 British and Indian civilians, like still in Kabul. Oh, wow. So on the 23rd of December, Afghan leaders invited him for tea to discuss the situation. Civil, it's nice, but yeah. but that makes me worried. Have some tea <laughs> now. Remember how we were Game of Thrones earlier? <laughs> yes, oh, oh, <laughs> shit. oh man. So they come out to and come for tea, but at the moment the British the British uh, dismounted their horses, they were seized, and McNaughton and, and an aide was slain by armed men. Yeah, later, McNaughton's body was mutilated and dragged through the streets of Kabul. I believe oh, he was made an example of... I believe in pieces. Oh, yikes. She is. Yeah, the cavalry escort that was supposed to protect the British diplomats had been delayed and had not joined them. Oops. <laughs> yeah. And two other British officers that had been part of McNaughton's party were then released. Uh, but yeah, at this point, Elphinstone had already partly lost command of his troops as his authority yeah. kept, kept diminishing. <laughs> yeah, just a little. Yep. <laughs> Uh, not great. Not great at all. <laughs> no. Yeah, and to the dismay of his officers, Elphinstone ignored the British of the, the killing of a British representative and took no punitive action again. Uh, okay. And while the Kabbalists essentially waited for swift retribution, mm-hmm. uh, the British and Indian regiments essentially cowered in their countenance. <laughs> like, they made attempts to clear the high ground. Um, uh-huh. Which uh, which failed pretty miserably. <laughs> As at this point, the troops were kind of too demoralized to be capable of aggressive action. <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, Major Eldred Pottinger succeeded McNaughton as the envoy of the of the court. 
Um, Somehow I have a feeling things aren't going to work out any better for him. <laughs> uh, on the 1st of January, 1842, uh, Elphinstone agreed to Akbarkhan's terms, which contained some, oh. quote, unfavorable conditions. <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, all gunpowder reserves had to be handed over, along with the newest muskets and most of the cannons which essentially for heavy guns left them with one horse artillery battery <laughs> uh, and three mountain guns. And I, I think there were a few cans, but not many. So they were basically disarming them. So yeah, essentially they, they took all the heavy, most of the heavy firepower. Yeah. But in exchange, Akbar Khan promised safe passage from Kabul for all foreign troops and civilians, mm-hmm. like including the women, children, and elderly. Uh, with, and the withdrawal was to begin on the 6th of January. But Note that this withdrawal involved crossing the snow-covered mountains of the Hindu Kush uh, mm. to, to Jalalabad, which is 90 miles or 140 kilometers away, uh, on foot. Yeah. <laughs> and up to the last minute, uh, Major Pottinger uh, begged Elphinstone not to follow the course, but to make a pretense of leaving and then, oh. and then to make a run of it, run to the Balabhasa at the last second. Mm-hmm. It'll uh, bait and switch. Yeah. But... Um, they just say, didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the on Wednesday, the fifth of January, uh, eighteen forty-two, Elphinstone finally gave his final command to commence a retreat, and orders were issued for seven and eight o'clock a.m. on Thursday, the sixth of January. Worth noting that his second in command, Briggs Shelton, was one of the last to know. Oh. <laughs> Uh, which ca- As any good chain of command goes, your second in command is always the last to know. Instead <laughs> uh, of the next to know. Yeah. Like, he le- like later he claimed that, he claimed, to quote, I knew nothing of the arrangements for the retreat until they were published the night before. Oh. So, uh, uh, yeah. But that's a, that's a terrible strategy. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, <laughs> um, happens. You know. <laughs> 8am the next day came along and he... Uh, essentially desperately tried to get permission from Elphinstone to release the gun carriages in order to make a footbridge over the Kabul River mm. for the infantry. But apparently uh, Elphinstone got offended for his trouble <laughs> uh, as he was just sitting down for his breakfast. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> I'm, I'm looking forward to the part where Elphinstone dies. Yep. I hope and, that's um, coming up. <laughs> yeah. No, it was this like, kind of showing the Breakdown of relations between them, between them, but it, yeah. on top of that, the construction was delayed until past twelve. Well, he had to have his breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most um, important meal of the day, as they say. Yeah, which essentially just exasperates an already yeah. already disastrous decision. Yes. Um, like in the words of one of one of the people at the time, um, to quote: "To retreat through the frost and the snow was the most hazardous of all the measures adopted." the troops having to contend against the frost as well as the enemy. And it was especially fatal to less protected and acclimatized native troops, yeah. who comprised five sixths for the force. Oh, uh, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And he also added, before the snow fell, so before the 18th of December, a retreat was, pract- was practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At this point, Elphinstone's army uh, commanded a, was essentially a column consisting of one, of one British infantry battalion, which was the 44th Regiment of Foot, uh, three regiments of regular Bengal native in- infantry, which were the 5th, 37th, and 54th BNI, 
One regiment of Shah Shuja's levy, which was a British subsidized force of Indian troops recruited for mm-hmm. Afghan service. Anderson's regular horse, the 5th Bengal Light Cavalry, and six guns of, Beng- of the Bengal Horse Artillery with sappers. In total, this, there are about 700 British and 3,800 Indian troops. Oh, wow. With camp followers made up of Indian and British families and their servants and civilian workers, numbering between 14,000 and 16,000. Wow. So, yeah, like different sources are a bit a lot of place. Like, I've read anywhere between 2,000 and 5,000 troops. But um, the 700 British and 3,800 Indians seems the most accurate. Okay. Uh, mostly because it's just mostly because it seems um, what's the word? Particular. Yeah, <laughs> uh, kind of exact. Yeah. So at first light on the 6th of January, uh, at about nine 9:30 a.m., Elphinstone's column began to slowly move out of Kabul, leaving Shuja Shah and their, and his followers to their fate essentially. And as Akbar Khan had guaranteed safety to all concerned, the sick, wounded, and infirm were also left behind. Mm. However, however, (laughs) (laughs) once the rear guard had finally left the cantonments, the Afghans moved in and began firing uh, from the walls. Yeah. Whilst whilst setting fire to garrison buildings and putting, essentially putting to sword any men, women, and children left behind. Wow. Yeah. Like, no, no one was spared, essentially. <laughs> or very few. Yeah. Like, I, I believe somebody, uh, like, some of the stronger ones would be kept as slaves, but not many. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, essentially on leaving the city, what began as a quick retreat became a death march. Yeah. Um, as Elphinstone also discovered that the escort promised by Akbar Khan had not materialized. Mm-hmm. Neither, had, neither had the food or fuel to help the crossing of the Hindu Kush in winter. So they were just on their own, like, okay, nothing, none of our provisions, none of our, um, nothing is materializing that was supposed to help us. So we are just on our own marching for 90 miles through mm-hmm. the snow, basically. No, no, we're just getting, in that, we're now getting into the main part of this text. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like I was saying, we are now essentially we're now getting to the main part of the text. Okay. <laughs> or the main, at least the main part of the topic, even. Right. The actual massacre parts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they had no. So essentially, they didn't have any of the fu- food or fuel they needed. Um, they were just left out on their own. Yeah. Like Major Pottinger uh, pleaded with Elphinstone to turn back to Kabul while they still had time to take refuge. In the in the fortress of Balasar, they attacked Arsenal. Yeah, um, but Elphinstone uh, said there would be no turning back, and they'd proceed <laughs> to Jalalabad. So this column of sixteen thousand soldiers and civilians was essentially now at the mercy of the Afghan tribes. Yeah. Um, on the first day, they marched six miles, um, with the advance guard reaching the first designated campsite about four p.m. Uh, by this point, nearly all of the pack animals of, of the baggage train had been stolen or lost. Oh, wow. Um, and as a result, they had hardly any tents either. Yeah. Uh, so making camp for the night, all but a few were reduced to bedding down, uh, down the ground. 
Yeah. Uh, and my of- guess is uh, Elphinstone was one of the ones who did get some sort of shelter. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah. And, and the, the ground was covered in snow as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So overnight, many, a lot of the troops and camp followers either died in the cold or suffered severe frostbite. Oh, yeah. Which is super painful. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. By 2 a.m., the weakened, exhausted rearguard staggered into Be- Begram, uh, which is the camp. And during the, the night, the uh, comes the first wave of mass desertion, which is oh, mo- yeah. which is mostly the um, Shah Sixth and Hopkins Sepoy Corps, so a lot of the Indian troops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's go to the second day, seventh of January. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Something tells me there aren't going to be a ton of days left for these people. <laughs> this goes on longer than you'd expect. Okay. Um, <laughs> Longer than hope, I think. Uh, yeah. The, the 7th of January, the second day, sniping from surrounding hills was, let say, taking its toll on the slow-moving column. Yeah. Easiest target. And despite being well-armed, the troops' progress was being hindered by terrified civilians and camp followers, with small, with small skirmishes being frequent. Like, Brigadier Shelton, despite his ineffectiveness as Elphinstone's deputy, essentially, at this point, kind of shone a bit, because he, he led the counterattacks of the rear guard to cover the main body. The Afghans succeeded in capturing some of the column's artillery while, while essentially forcing the British to spike two of their three remaining pieces. And in just 24 hours, the column had, lo- had now had only one small gun and two heavier cannons left. Oh, wow. Uh, along with 3,000 casualties from the cold and attacks, the loss of many senior officers, and the first serious ammunition sources started carrying. Ugh. In 24 hours. Yeah, I was going to say, on day two. <laughs> yep. Later that afternoon, Akbar Khan met Elphinstone, feigning ignorance to any treachery on his part, and claiming that he'd been deputed to ensure the army compute, completed its journey without further harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, he told the British that he, that he had been unable to provide this agreed escort because they'd mm-hmm. left it at cantonments earlier than expected. Oh. <laughs> oh, you left earlier than we thought. We We were... We were just a couple hours behind you. <laughs> mm. uh, Akbar Khan then asked Elphinstone to wait as he negotiated the column's safe passage with the mm-hmm. Afghan chiefs who commanded the Khord Kabul Pass 15 miles from Kabul, or 24 kilometers. And essentially, despite what had already happened, and Pottinger denouncing it as a rather obvious sham, mm-hmm. uh, Elphinstone kind, like, kind of... Bought it. <laughs> yeah, he bought it and believed that the Af- that. Uh, Akbar Khan was simply hard-pressed to control his people. Oh. Um, so he agreed to the terms and waited, uh, also agreeing to hand over a large sum of money. Oh. Um, and on top of this, uh, Akbar Khan then uh, demanded uh, to be able to pick three additional hostages. So Elphinstone agree- again agreed, and uh-huh. Akbar Khan qu- pretty quickly chose Pottinger and two of the other uh, uh-huh. kind of people that he kind of realized were competent. Right, like take away the voices of reason from yeah. this idiot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Despite what I said, uh, Pottinger and the others obeyed the orders and went and dutifully went into captivity. Mm. Uh, probably thinking they'd never see any of the comrades again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're kind of resigned to it at this point. And yeah, one of the other conditions negotiated was that the British also abandoned Kandahar and Jalalabad. And Akbar Khan said, essentially said that he required the hostages to ensure that Brigadier Sale left Jalalabad and withdrew to India. Oh. 
yeah, essentially, once again, instead of hurrying forward, Elphinstone had only moved six miles from Kabul mm-hmm. uh, because he waited. And yeah, the next day, um, the night for January, essentially found uh, had the force so debilitated by the freezing weather, yeah, especially at night, that very few of the soldiers were perfect for duty. Yeah. At 8 a.m., most of the troops uh, moved out without orders, and a lot of European children, women, children, and most of their husbands were taken into custody. Mm-hmm. Mutinies and mass desertions uh, increased markedly. Yeah. Um, and Europeans and uh, Sepoy regiments recorded crippling losses. And the, the column struggled through the narrow five mile long Khor Kabul Pass, uh, essentially being fired on for, for the whole length. <sighs> Uh, by Trison. No, it was a gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, it's Trison the post on the heights on each side. Um, oh wow! Armed with both captured British muskets and their traditional jezels. So they were <laughs> they were like, firing on them with their own weapons. Yeah, essentially, as they kill people, they just took the weapons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and yeah, at this point, it was pretty apparent that Akbar Khan just kind of bought them more time for an, to get into position for an ambush. Right. Right. And yeah, so the men of the 44th Regiment formed the rear guard. And they're pretty desperate to save their lives. A lot of the column quickly broke ranks and um, fled. Yeah. Uh, kind of all over the place in confusion and stuff. Uh-huh. Also worth noting that is that uh, throughout the pass, uh, along the bottom of the pass, uh, there was a half-frozen stream which meandered its way across, uh, which had to be crossed <laughs> back and forth over a dozen times before they came out. Oh. oh, man. <laughs> pretty hefty yeah especially when you're frostbitten and yep uh demoralized to the nth degree yeah and um you know the uh i think one of the pictures that i uh post on twitter and stuff um of, which yes, actually has been yeah. tapped, that's of uh-huh. this that's of this part in particular oh okay this event <laughs> and yeah once the main body had moved through the afghans kind of left their positions to mask any stragglers behind left mm-hmm. behind and in this manner, several thousands were put to the sword, essentially. Like, there are accounts uh, by survivors which claim that, Ma- that Akbar Khan himself was seen riding through the carnage, oh. uh, essentially imploring his fellow Afghans and Persian, which was understood by at least some of the British, to cease firing, mm. while simultaneously uh, t- shouting at them in their own tongue, yeah, in Pashto, okay. to kill them. <laughs> <laughs> So he's like, hey, no, 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 hold your fire. Come on, kill him. Yeah, essentially. And uh, yeah, by the, e- by the evening of the 9th of January, the column had moved only 25 miles. Total? Uh, I believe so. With uh, 3,000 uh, 3, dead. Oh, hmm. and those were just the dead because there were people who also just ran off, right? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, a lot most a lot of them killed by fighting, but a lot of, uh, a lot of them had also frozen to death or taken their own lives. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like uh, a written report by Elphinstone uh, recorded that most of the sepoys had by this stage lost fingers or toes in the freezing conditions. Oh, uh, yes. and, and that their snow encrusted muskets had become unusable. Yeah. The irregular horse counted just 100 mounted troopers left, the 5th Light Cavalry, just 70. Uh, of, the, of the Queen's 44 foot, uh, only about 200 Englishmen were still able to answer the rolls, which was a casualty rate wow. of 90%. Eesh. Um, and by now, the native infantry regiment regiments were uh, reduced to about sixty men each. Oh man! So uh, yeah, they were decimated on the evening of on the evening <laughs> of January 9th. <laughs> and we're still going. Yeah. Oh man, I, it would have been I I like 
it, at that point, it almost would have been if just somebody could have stepped up and be like, look, I'm just going to take us all out, okay? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like I, was kind of, I was kind of thinking to give you the, the start and end date, but I was like, I was kind of going to see if you kind of, <laughs> like, see how it goes this way. All right? <laughs> like, by February 27th. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just out of curiosity, how long do you think this is going to go? I, I for for these people's sake, for their sake, um, it could either be not much longer, which would make sense, or it could be like just for a stupid amount of time because of Elphinstone. <laughs> hmm. So yeah, it's uh, it could be a lot, <laughs> or it could be that, or it could be little. I'm gonna guess it all is finally over. I'm, I'm going to say January 31st. Okay. Yes. I was going to say like mid-February. Okay. That's what I was guessing. Because this seems like it's I a believe- series of horrors that just won't end. Yeah. I, yeah, it's less than that. Okay. It's not quite that much. <laughs> That's good. Okay, we're um, overestimating. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. On the evening of January 9th, Akbar Khan um, sent more envoys to requesting further hostages. Uh, as he needed them to protect his father, who was a British captive in India at the time. They hadn't sent messages for this yet because it was happening at the okay. time. So the rest of the British had no idea this was going on. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, for, for days. <laughs> yeah. Like, even people miles away probably had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, God knows how long... It, I, don't, I, don't actually, I don't actually know, because it, hasn't come, it didn't come from notes, but I don't even know how long it took to, for it to reach England. <laughs> yeah yeah right and back then who knows yeah but yeah anyway so he asked for more hostages being the remaining married officers with their families oh. um and lady sale uh, along oh, with yeah. the wives yeah along with the wives and children of both both british and indian officers basically accepted um act by kinds of services and protection despite deep distrust he said just like <laughs> we're not least we're not getting literally murdered straight away <laughs> <laughs> yeah like haven't so they they still are trusting this yeah. guy it's like I, I think at this point they're all just like we're ever gonna die or, or at least we get a warmish cell <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, picking so, the lesser yeah. of the evils yeah but once they were hostages um all of the indian servants and sepoy wives were murdered oh man so yeah. Uh, but yeah the europeans were weren't though this time this time uh-huh. <laughs> this time yeah <laughs> key phrase uh, and so fourth day <laughs> the 10th of january, january 10th yeah yeah so a few hundred native soldiers deserted and tried to return to kabul but they were all either killed or enslaved yeah and by now elvenstone had seized giving orders and just kind of sat silently on his horse <laughs> mm. oh man he just uh, gave up yeah it, there's reports of a uh, essentially they were, at this point they were, everyone was hungry and thirsty. Yeah, like with people trying to eat snow. Oh, um, so, like there are a fair few that went snow blind um, because it was just fast uh-huh. planes of white, right? And were left behind by the others. Yeah, yeah and by the time the night fell that day, it's estimated that about as few as 750 men at arms were left, 
um, about 4,000 civilians out of the 17,000-ish out there. 16,000, 17,000. I'm kind of shocked that they're still at that number. Mm-hmm. I, I was figuring they were down. I mean, I guess the troops are really the, the number that was whittled down the most, but I figured they're down to 300 people at this point. So they're still, they're still, still hanging in. Four, 4,000 some people. Yeah. Yep. Still um, involved. I mean, it's, it's a big cut. <laughs> I will yeah. grant you, but yeah, man. By the evening of January 11th, um, the army was reduced to about just over 200 people, men. Uh, like it said that, like separate, the sepoys were essentially reduced to skeleton formations. Yeah. Um, and European combat troops were reduced to about 70 of the 44 foot, 50 horse artillery, and about 150 cavalry. So like 300 or just under 300 total. Yeah. And by the, by the evening of the 11th of January, uh, the army was reduced to about 200. <laughs> Maybe this is where the, uh, the phrase, they're dropping like flies, came from. Essentially, a really small rig on this point was led by Brigadier General John Shelton, who... Actually led a fierce resistance against the Afghans, actually. Wow. Uh, so he's still trying. Yeah. And essentially, as the surviving troops, they were besieged in a small ruined mud, mud ward enclosure. So uh, Akbar Khan's um, envoys returned and um, persuaded Elphinstone and his second command, Shelton, to accompany them for negotiations. Oh, no. And I'm going to guess they were stupid enough to do it. <laughs> yeah. And he brought the two officers to his camp and provided them with dinner. Oh. Uh, but the, the reasons for his hospitality became clear soon mm-hmm. as uh, both officers were refused permission to return to their men. Yeah. Uh, Shelton became, is reported to have become furious and demanding, demanded right to fight as an officer and, and die fighting mm. uh, and leading his men. Note that there's not really much comment on what Elphinstone <laughs> said here. Yeah, like, somehow I don't think that honor and dying and fighting meant a whole lot to him. He was just like, "Can I eat?" Yeah. Yeah. I think at this point, I at this point I don't really blame him. <laughs> like, yeah. he's like, he's like, is there a dessert? I'm just like, <laughs> fair and like good on Shelton, but oh boy, right? Like, yeah. oh, I, see, I'm, yeah. like, I'm not sure I would want to. <laughs> yeah, you see him counting like the. Um, like the ends of the forks, see like, oh, is this the salad fork? Is this the meat <laughs> which fork? Course which course are we on? Which course are we on? Oh, there's yeah. other guys like wanting to have an all-out duel to the end. But whatever. I'm, I'm just, dessert? I'm just hungry. <laughs> are, we, are we getting dessert? I'm not sure I heard. <laughs> no, no, not are people deserting me. I'm saying, are I'm we saying ha- eating dessert? dessert? <laughs> yeah. like apple pie with rhubarb. That's whatever. the only dessert I care about right now. Mm. And yeah, so uh, 12th of January, um, the column was now in the command of uh, Brigadier and Anquetil. That was hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, essentially after having lost their commander and over 12,000 casualties, the Sepoy morale collapsed and, and most of the remaining Sepoys deserted. Yeah. And fearing treachery, um, he decided that their only hope was to wait till night and press on in the dark. Oh. Kept So they kept going and breached the Jugluk Crest, which is once again like in a pretty narrow pass. Mm-hmm. And they realized that it was blocked by a, thorn, a thorny barrier of prickly holly oak, which was well twisted together and was about six feet high. Oh, yikes. Uh, across the narrowest part of the valley. Oh, so, uh, yeah, so essentially uh, this, this resulted in the exhausted soldiers and people uh, clawing at the barrier with their bare hands 
oh. uh, to try and make way for the fawns uh, with with half frozen fingers. Oh my! Or 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 non-existent yeah. fingers because they had fallen yeah. off. And they finally managed to succeed in making a small opening with a a desperate attack being mounted. Essentially, the horse cavalry tried to drive their remaining gun at the abattis, oh. uh, but very few managed to pass the obstruction. Uh, most of the men who tried to climb over the barrier were shot down before they could reach the other side. Yeah. And uh, as they were shot from above at the time. And at the same time, Afghans came rushing up from, uh, after them from behind. Oh, uh, essentially man. making a crush against the Forney Barricade. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So they, they basically just um, cornered them. Yeah. And essentially just devolved into a, a matter of every man for itself. Oh, man. Um, with essentially no discipline remaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the few, the few remaining men who had managed to scale the barrier or make it through also essentially began a desperate gallop towards Jalalabad. Um, many, though many were slaughtered in the melee just after reaching the other side. Yeah. Dr. Bryden, who was a assistant surgeon, uh, was one of fewer than 80 men who managed to get through that, the, the breach. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah and after this, there was a final skirmish at Sawagab, for some of them, and um, a also a final stand at Gandamak on the morning of J- January thirteenth, eighteen forty-two, in the snow with oh, um, wow. with twenty officers and forty-five European soldiers, uh, surround essentially surrounded on a hillock. Oh, yeah. So by um, a stand, it's more of a firing squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With only twenty working muskets and two shots per weapon. So they refused to surrender as when the Afghans tried to persuade them to, that they would spare their lives when uh, it's said that a British sergeant is said to have cried, not bloody likely. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the most British part of this story. <laughs> yeah. Not bloody likely. Oh man. Although that was probably correct. I mean, mm. in all fairness, every piece of evidence had pointed to everybody's lying to yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Shortly after, sniping began, followed by a series of rushes, with, yes. and the hillock was soon overrun by tribesmen. One officer called uh, Captain Sauter, or Sauter, um, was um, mistaken by the Ag- Afghans by a, as a high-ranking officer, uh, as they mistook him from a general for a general, as he had wrapped himself in regimental colours of the forty-four foot around oh. his body uh, to try and keep the cold out. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's. That's it for them, right? Like, I feel like <laughs> let's not let any of them get so. out of this. Like, her, so they can just be done with. Yeah, so, um, like a mercy rule in T-ball. Like, once you're up by 10 runs, just <laughs> call it a game. Yeah. It is basically uh, a game of T-ball <laughs> yeah. with, like, a major league uh, team playing against the team of the Warriors. It was the T-ball team. Oh, yeah. man. Just, like, just end it. Oh. So him and this sergeant named Fair and another seven privates were dragged into captivity. Uh, with uh, the Roman troops killed. Only six mounted officers escaped. Of these, five were murdered along the road. Yeah. Um, so one guy, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Another group of 15 mounted officers managed to reach as far as the village of, of Fatehabad, where they were offered breakfast from the villagers. Ten were killed as they sat down to a set breakfast. But four were shot from rooftops as they remounted their horses and attempted to flee the village. Uh, and one was tracked down and beheaded. On the 13th of January, a British officer from the 16,000-strong column rode into Jaha, uh, Jalalabad on a wounded horse 
who and this was assistant surgeon William Bryden, who was riding a pony oh. taken from taken from a mortally wounded officer after oh, being wow. begged by the man not to not to let it fall into anyone's hands, and it continued on despite him and his pony being severely wounded oh, in several wow. skirmishes, as in the last few miles towards Jalalabad, he was attacked at least three times in earnest. Somehow managed to fight them off each time. Oh wow! Including in one of these, an Afghan musket ball came so close to blasting him out of the saddle that it struck his sa- saber and snapped the blade. <laughs> and in the end, he uh, apparently he fended off the, one of the last assaults by literally hurling the hilt of his saber into the face of one of his attackers. Oh oh! Yeah. Uh, at one point, uh, a part yeah a part of his skull was sheared off by his by a sword. So he survived as he insulated his hat with a, with a paper magazine uh, from the heat, which, okay, deflected, right. which deflected the blow. Um, so it was still the a force was strong with this one. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was pretty. Still a, a damn bad injury. Yes, <laughs> as part of his skull was sheared off. <laughs> oh man! Um, and as he neared Jalalabad, as they, as he was spotted, uh, they immediately dispatched rescue riders to ride out and meet him. And when upon arrival, he he was asked what what happened to the army. His answer was, "I am the army." Oh <laughs> my god! Like uh, I, of all those people, I'm the one left. Uh-huh. I am the army. Not bloody likely, and I am the army. Those are two great quotes. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, a few sepoys who had been in the mountains followed in the in the coming weeks. But yeah, he was the only European to make it have, to make it from there. Oh um, man. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he later, he later published a memoir of the Death, death March, and the pony, he, the pony he arrived in was said to have lain down in a stable and never gotten up. Oh, <laughs> just... that's, that's, that's a really sad, like, image, yeah. mental image. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have done the same thing, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for several nights, the light, lights were raised on the gates of Jalalabad and bugles sounded in hope for guiding any further survivors to safety. Yeah, the casual- I'm guessing no one else yep. came came around. <laughs> yeah, so um, the entire force of 690 British soldiers, two about 3,000 Indian soldiers, tw- and 12,000 followers were killed, or t- in very few cases taken prisoner. So yeah, uh, the Afghan casualties, which were largely girls and tribesmen, are unknown. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so- that's. That's uh, that's a massive number of people. Yeah, yeah. So, what does that? What what is the total? I wasn't I wasn't um, tracking properly the because you broke it down. Mm. Uh, how, what was the grand total? It was a, people a, who almost a, all died. Yeah, approximately sixteen thousand. Between sixteen thousand to eighteen thousand. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's. That's a massive amount. That's a massive amount for any type of, because I'm trying to think of like, what was the like the the worst battle of World War Two or World War One? Like the worst casualties. Uh, it was, it was much, worse, worse. Yeah, much worse. Much worse. Oh, okay. Like, don't okay. worry. Don't worry. It was like, yeah. <laughs> like, don't worry. It gets worse later yeah. on. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a reason I'm saving those ones. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Oh god. Yeah. Have it. You have to remember at this point. People using muskets and cannons. Yes. Mm. Not all yes. weapons. There's like an adjustment for inflation. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> it needs to be done yeah. for weaponry, weaponry inflation. Yeah. Well, everything is 
still pretty much hand to hand because it's muskets. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no air force. Right. Like at all. A lot of these uh, deaths were literally by the sword. Yeah. 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 Let's get into the aftermath, shall we? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh... So yeah, the uh, this essentially the annihilation uh, left Britain and India in shock. Uh, yeah. Like, it said um, apparently uh, the Governor General Lord Auckland uh, suffered a stroke upon hearing the news. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, Brigadier Sale and his troops in Jalalabad for a time uh, com- contemplated a retreat to India, but certain councils prevailed, um, particularly from Captains Broadfoot and Havelock, and the garrison hung on as a springboard for the quote army of retribution into Afghanistan next year. <laughs> Oh, uh, which yeah, in the autumn of 1842. So I need to say the response was as predictable as it, like as it yeah. would. Yeah, uh, and come the spring, they returned to Afghanistan in force uh, with two mm-hmm. armies, one led by one under the command of Sir of General Sir William Knott, uh, who had previously called Elphinstone incompetent. Right. Yeah, uh, and the other was under under General George Pollock. And essentially, they just smashed their way through, the, like through Afghanistan, uh, yeah, and h- hit them with literally everything they had. And this time, they bought heavy artillery as well. <laughs> like Jalalabad was quickly reinforced along with Kandahar, and they became uh, permanent British bastions at the time. And they marched over the mountains and down to the plains, and essentially passing all the bodies on the way. Oh um, wow! Yeah. And, um, which essentially told them all they need to know about what happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so essentially they, they blast away anything and everything in their path. The, the, like, the walls of Ghazni, around that fortress area, were literally torn down around, around its inhabitants. Oh. Uh, Kabul was reached within a, a, only a few months. And for those held, held hostage, essentially most, they'd all been sent to Bamiyan, which was a... a a little bit of distance north of Kabul in a uh, essentially an attempt to thwart any would-be rescuers. As, Mah- as Akbar Khan had um, hoped to sell them as slaves and later oh. and later disavow any knowledge of them. And like as the British approaches, he even managed to uh, flush Shah Shuja out, out of the Bala Hissar oh. as, as it had actually withstood the siege. Like after all, like just like Potton just said it would. Huh. Well, hold on, like like Shashida was in the uh, in the fortress, so they took a made run for it. They had a much better chance, probably. Right? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. They managed to flush them out using the uh, tried and true at this point uh, pledge of mm. safe conduct, uh-huh. <laughs> where he promptly had him murdered. <laughs> uh-huh. Though it wasn't. Though it was pretty much nothing, as uh, his support quickly crumbled in the uh, face of a actual British attack. Right. Um, and he fled Kabul. Um, like I, one, like one source I said says he disappeared from the pages of history, oh. uh, while another said that um, he was poisoned by his father, as he who uh, was suspicious of his intentions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's a lot of reasons to be suspicious of his intentions. Yeah, and just like before, the city was taken without a shot being fired. 
And before long, uh, General Pollock has Shudrashan's son footer uh, installed in the Buddha Hussar. And Brigadier General Sale personally rescued his wife, Lady Sale, and the other husband. Oh! Uh, from the yeah wow yeah and though despite this the slaughter of an army by afghan tribesmen was still humiliating for british authorities in india oh, yes. and they never really recovered from it elphinstone died at captive in afghanistan some months later like before they were rescued oh. uh, as he was worn out and racked with fever and dysentery to quote from my to quote from one of my sources he had the, he finally had the good sense to die <laughs> 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 yeah no kidding and his body was dispatched with a small guard of Afghan soldiers to the British garrison at Jalalabad with um, one of his faithfuls. I'm not sure if it's actually part of my notes or if it's just kind of been copied from somewhere else, but it says Batman Moore. Batman Moore? Yeah, Batman Moore, question mark. Who had stayed with General uh, accompanied the body. And en route to attack by a band of tribesmen, but it did actually reach the garrison. And he was buried in an unmarked grave. So he actually got buried. Yeah, I, I don't think he deserved a distinction. <laughs> I mean, he got buried. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess, I'm, I guess like, there's I'm surprised. that. Yeah. Like, that they, um, they gave him that much of an honor, yeah. Yeah, yeah Pottinger and uh, several other hostages um, managed to um, survive uh, any attempts to dispose of them as um, with uh, the two British armies uh, essentially rampaging uh, towards them. Uh, he was wow. able to convince his jailers that it was in their best interest to keep them together and alive <laughs> uh, if they hoped to avoid destruction, along with a bribe of two thousand of 20,000 rupees even, which uh, Pottinger somehow managed to keep hidden from his captors, huh. uh, along with the promise of a monthly pension. And it was so convincing that by the time the British learned of their survival and they sent a rescue force of about 600 mounted regulars under the command of Sir Richard Shakespeare... <laughs> I, I knew you'd like that one <laughs> yes that's a good one that's a good one uh, any relation hmm. no, no that, I don't that was so. real I'm not name, sure right? I don't know um, Sh- right? wasn't Shakespeare a pen name or people or a bunch of people I have no idea yeah. I, I, I I'm, I homeschooled myself well, I shouldn't even yeah. be putting it out there. <laughs> I have no, no clue I finally reached Bamian uh, when they arrived they were were surprised surprised to find their hostages being protected by a bodyguard of their former jailers. Oh, yeah. So altogether, it's um, apparently twenty-two officers, thirty-seven soldiers, nineteen women, and twenty-two children survived at Bamiyan. Wow. Yeah, of, that's <laughs> a, that's out of, of the prisoners. Oh man. Uh, which is about which is about hundred people. Um, wow. Yeah, and on October 11, after thoroughly looting Kabul and dynamiting its enormous covered bazaar uh, in an act of spite, essentially, yeah, um, they pulled the British pulled out their troops and returned to India. Like pr- predictably enough, the, K- the Kabulis then disposed of Shudra's hair, uh, air, mm. uh, pretty much immediately. Yeah, like the British did a uh, try to like try to exert some measure of control for a bit. Uh, mm. And casting around for a suitable replacement, and finally they found one in India. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A certain Dost Mohammed. Oh, <laughs> there's a name we've heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so um, Elphinstone's leadership is generally a, no- a pretty famous example of um, infamous example, even of how ineptitude, uh, how indecisiveness, and just 
being unsuitable or being for being a senior officer can compromise the morale and effectiveness of an entire army. Absolutely. Like poor management can kill. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Essentially not only did he uh, stop like fail to lead his soldiers, but he um, also gave out enough authority to prevent any of his officers doing it in his place. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said earlier. Uh, Yeah. It's like when um, Sepoy called Sita Ram, uh, complained that if only the army had been commanded by the Memersibs, all might have been well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they needed Captain Denny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Dos Mohammed uh, quickly reestablished authority and died on the 9th of June, 1863, of natural causes. Oh, uh, so not in battle or of uh, yeah, he <laughs> frostbite. Was, yeah, actually, one of one of very one of few Afghan rulers in the past thousand years to do so. Oh, uh-huh. I can yeah. imagine that. Yeah, the, the destruction of uh, several regiments of Indian troops uh, sent like still hit the morale of the East Indian Company's Bengal army, as their essentially their rep, their reputation for invin- invincibility had been broken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they kind of just lost that um, initial oh shit, they're coming with us. <laughs> right, right. There's there's no more uh it's like they lost their edge, they lost yeah. their scary factor. Yeah, it's like suddenly people were just like, hmm, maybe we can do something about it. Right, yeah. right. They've been beat before badly. Only a hundred people made it out alive. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um and fifteen years later there was a great bangle mutiny. Uh, with one mm-hmm. with one British officer commenting that men remembered Kabul. So essentially, um, there were a few bullet points I got from, uh, I think, BritishBattles.com. I'm not sure. It was from mm-hmm. one of my sources, um, which says that, which I'm just going to read directly. Uh, so it's, a, it's basically um, just some extra bullet points. So it says, the, the first Afghan war provided a clear lesson to British authorities uh, that while it may be relatively straightforward to invade Afghanistan, it's wholly impracticable to um, occupy the country or attempt to impose a government when not welcomed by its inhabitants. The only result will be hmm. failure and great expense in treasure and lives, which is still happening today. <laughs> yeah. Just going, I was just going to say, that's a, a lesson, a, lesson oh, learned. Oh, that's right. Wait, no. Let's um, not learn. Yeah. It's like uh, 17 yeah. freaking years later, we're still there. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like modern and modern. I was, I was actually reading about it um, earlier, and it was uh, apparently it's sometimes called a forgotten war because it's still going on. Not many people kind of realize that. It just like, right. like kind it, of it's yeah. it's already being called a forgotten war, and it's still going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've I've read stuff about younger Afghani's who are like teenagers and stuff. They don't know what nine eleven is. Mm-hmm. They, like they have no idea how it started. Yeah, they have no idea why there are American troops in their country. That like they really don't because mm-hmm. there's. Because all the people that were involved in that, they're they're gone. Yeah, they're they're dead or in jail, right. like one or the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's this whole, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, kind of. At this point, it's an entire generation. Yeah, two years yeah. from now, they're seventeen now. now. There will be yeah. people fighting that war that mm-hmm. weren't even alive, weren't even born yet when it started. Yeah. And they already so, are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. they're close. Close. Well, no, I bet in Afghanistan there are some. Oh, in Afghanistan for sure. I'm soldiers. talking about American. Pilots. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah, so like the British also learned that uh, what, that political officers should not be permitted to predominate over military judgments. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Well, that that is that is technically in our constitution, but we just haven't practiced it very well, like <laughs> very much at all since like the Korean War, probably. Mm. Oh, because Vietnam and everything. Well, I mean, Congress is supposed to decide whether we go to war. Oh, or not, not a and not a president. That yeah. is not. Oh, I was reading about that actually as well. The Korean War has also been has also been called a forgotten war. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew it existed. I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> like, no, sure, but yeah. there, there's a reason. There's a reason why there's yeah, two. Yeah. 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 I like like I put a last minute point in as well, just because uh, it kind of struck out as well. Because like even though it's obvious from what we've just said, uh, it kind of just it's kind of just puts in a bullet point. It's uh-huh. okay. It is extraordinary that officers, particularly senior senior officers like Elphinstone and Shelton for able to, to surrender themselves as hostages, thereby ensuring their survival while their soldiers struggled on. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's some stellar leadership. <laughs> and uh, as a final note, um, you, on uh, BritishBattles.com, you can actually see uh, a map of the route from Kabal to Shalabad. Mm. Yeah, so 90 miles, 140 kilometers. Man, see, it's funny, and all these places are still significant during our war with Afghanistan, Jalalabad, right, Kandahar, Kabul, Kabul, mm-hmm. um, and there was one other city that you mentioned, but I'm like, I'm like, those are all still places today. Well, because they're major, yeah. major, major cities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, can you see why I didn't do a two-topic episode now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, yeah, yeah that's. Yeah. <laughs> If you want, if you want a four-hour, four-hour-long episode, you could do another topic. <laughs> I know. I was just like, oh boy, I, I well, kind of realized that I was halfway through. I was like, I, I can't do a two-hour episode now. <laughs> this is no. This is there's much. that's just a lot of. It's, there's just a lot going on. Yes. Uh huh. And so many wonderful names. Yes. <laughs> like, so will it be Cotton? So will it be Cotton? And uh, there was even a Shakespeare thrown in. Yes, there was, just for good measure. Elphinstone. I, I, I literally only kept that in because I knew I was like, oh, you guys are going to be there. <laughs> like, Elphinstone. I, was, I, was like, I, I was like, I know you guys. <laughs> yes, and, and Captain Denny is, I've got to say Captain Denny is my favorite. <laughs> just, I don't know. I didn't think he'd be memorable, but you made him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, 16 everything. to 18,000 people. That's nuts. Yeah. That, that is a massacre. Especially for, like you said, the technology of warfare at the time. Yeah, everything's... Like, even nowadays, you never you never really hear of an entire, like, army just kind of vanishing. Right. No. Like, yeah. like you, you expect at least, like, what, fight? Like, even if it was, like, really, really bad, you expect me 10% survive, like... Well, at this point, like when when we hear reports of like the the bloodiest battle yet, it's like ten American soldiers died. I mean, it's like very very small numbers compared mm. to sixteen to eighteen. Yeah, 000. I was I was thinking of doing a uh, like short video on like how how I picture numbers because it get because it gets uh-huh. really big and it's really hard to do. I find right. Yeah, there was, a, there was a video a while back which um, kind of did um, how to pr- how to predict how to picture big amounts of money. But, uh, oh, okay. But I kind of use that to kind of picture big amounts of people now, because because just because that yeah it's easily adaptable. The, you saw uh, there was a video that you saw that was um, you showed me the Holocaust, right? To put the Holocaust yes, in perspective, perspective by death toll, exact same idea, like a visualization of if this represents this many and this represents you know. Well, it was because there were estimated six million Jews yeah. lost. Right. So that, that's just civilians. 
Right, right. Yeah. Uh, any last comments before we cut the music? Um, I don't think so. That's this just... is a. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure, and I'd have to look at this. I'm positive the Revolutionary War did not cost that many British lives. And we're talking mm. about basically one incident in Afghanistan. Right. That cost, what was it? 16, 16 to 18,000. Yeah, I don't think there were that many. In the whole In the whole Revolutionary, Revolutionary War. Mm. Or, wow. or whatever they call it. <laughs> whatever you <laughs> British people call it. I mean, we don't really get taught about it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm pretty sure. It was like mm-hmm. it was like around four thousand. Like oh. it wasn't that much, but it was during that time. Because you're right. talking it, about it's compared to yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But wow, no, that's that was that was a very good example of a lot of what happens in like the disasters we cover, where it's just like one bad decision piled up on another bad oh, decision yeah. piled up on like yeah. Just when you think it couldn't get worse. That's why I thought you guys would be perfect for it, because I know you don't do some of this yes. I'm going to give you, like, it gives you a chance for a, different, a disaster that you don't normally cover. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. Right, very yeah. true. Because mm-hmm. oh, it is definitely, like, entirely man-made. Yes. This one. Yes. So. And military. We usually don't cover yes. military yeah, deaths and battles, because, yeah, yeah, it's not crime per se, but, exactly. yeah. It's, it doesn't count as your kind of thing. Yeah, like, yeah. basically. Too, that's why I kind of like having you on mine every night because I was like, you don't do this. Get, like, that's right. <laughs> we don't. So uh yeah. Well it was a lot of it was a lot of fun for sure. As always. <laughs> fun. Yeah. Well, yes. oh, the, well be yeah. yes, talking with you, not the disaster. Not, the disaster. <laughs> not, not the massacre. No, yeah. the death. Okay. On that, we'll cut to music and come up with an outro. So um see you in a minute, guys. And we are back. So, hope you enjoyed that story. Enjoyed being used very loosely. <laughs> enjoyed in the most morbid sense possible. Yes. Any last comments uh, or anything like that? Or I think we did um, at the end of that, but... <laughs> uh, what was it? Not bloody likely. And what was the other one that I liked? Oh, I am the army. I am the army. Yes. I am the army. Uh, I am the army is actually going to be the, t- the episode title. I just said, oh, very oh, good. Okay. That's yeah. a good one. I was yes. just like... Yeah, it's like Bad Blood 2, Hi, I'm the Army. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. That's it's, a good one. I feel like that's going to that's gonna end up being a running thing now, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, oh man, it fits too well. So, uh, Thanks for having us on. Yes, it was really very much. fun, as always. Yeah. So, any plugs? Like, you can plug your show again if you want. Oh, or, yes. We're bad at that. Yes. Um, all Bad Things. We come out with new episodes every Monday. And um, depending on what time I have to go to work. Yes, it's either early on a Monday if David has to go into work early. Otherwise, I sleep in and it's late. <laughs> Later it's in the morning on Monday. It's either going to come on at 5.30 in the morning or between 9 and 10 in the morning yeah. on a Monday. <laughs> There's a little variation. But without fail, every Monday for a every year Every Monday, now. yes. So, yeah. yeah we, are, we are nothing if we are not consistent. Mm, yes. <laughs> so, consistently... I was going to say consistently bad, but that's not it. Consistently there. <laughs> consistently there, yes. Yeah. With our bad things. Mm. So uh, my plugs will be... Yeah, my plug will be the uh, Murderly Network again. 
live it. Demetrius <laughs> agrees. That's who everybody's been hearing in the background, by the way. Our whiny cat, yes. Oh, and yeah, he, my... he loves Murderly. Yes. And for my listeners, they have the best named cats. It's <laughs> Demetrius and Jesse Pinkman. Yes. <laughs> Soon to be worldwide famous, apparently. <laughs> Uh, let's, let's hope so. They got they got an earn living. So yeah, we gotta uh, we gotta monetize it, these. Yeah, yeah. This whole yeah just get him a Snapchat, uh, no, uh, Instagram account. <laughs> right. Yeah, <we're, laughs> yes. We're trying to get them to be cute. They don't want to be. Murder.ly, and you can find a bunch of really cool pods on there, uh, like Corpus Delicti, Men's Rea, Murderish. Trace evidence. Yeah, you got you got a bunch of them, and um, yeah, so. Shout outs. Um, I need to give another shout out to Rich that I mentioned before because um, he got in touch with me recently and he and he let me know that the um, promos were a bit louder than were louder than the episode and I didn't realize. So thanks to him for making me realize <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise that would have kept going for much longer than I thought. <laughs> um, um, and I'm going to give a shout out to Nox Arcana because I haven't done it in a while in the show, even, even though I link it in the uh, episode comments because they do art because uh, art intermission music is from a snippet of one of their songs they they've essentially just asked me to put their website in the description but I, I like to put it in the episode as well sometimes but I've not done it in a while <laughs> social media you can find me at facebook.com slash blood and rocks twitter and instagram at the bloody rocks B-O-C-R-Pod. yes that's how I always remember you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bloody, know, rocks. Yeah. bloody rocks bloody rocks <laughs> uh Email at botrpodcast at gmail.com. And we also have a Discord, which I'll put in the description because it's a string of letters. But for you, for you, for those of you that are interested, uh, it's UQXJQHM, which, which is why I don't normally say it in the episodes. <laughs> it's so easy to remember. <laughs> I know. It's uh, very catchy. <laughs> yes. You could go to your You actually remember that pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to plug yours as well if you want. Oh, um, at All Bad Things Pod on Twitter and Instagram or on Facebook. And you can email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. People especially like emailing us um, ideas for disasters. <laughs> That's a favorite thing to do. And we do we do keep track and we do shout everybody out once we do. Yes, this is uh, our new episode, which will come out tomorrow. Tomorrow as we're recording. Tomorrow, but as we're recording, which will be July 23. Third, Third. yes, yes. Um, was a listener suggestion. We wouldn't have even known about it had it not no. been for our listeners. So, but yeah, never um, yeah. Until, we, until we covered it. Yeah, hmm. yeah, listeners, you can do the same for me as well if you want. I won't guarantee it'll come on, but I'll, I'll, I can guarantee to read it at least <laughs> and look into it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, we have we also have Patreon at rocks with some extra bits of content in there. I should have another episode of like I, I've got I've had a second episode like recorded for so long now and I just haven't had time to re- edit it for the Patreon because <laughs> um, <laughs> we're doing a history of craft ser- like series because uh, one of my favorite authors, an interesting okay. character to say the least. <laughs> like pretty much anything in horror uh, has some kind of Lovecraft influence in it at this point uh. and fiction, hmm. um, like. It's very rare. You can you can't find some kind of Lovecraftian influence in fi- like in fiction nowadays. Oh. So, thanks for listening. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Don't forget to tell your friends, and have a great week.
This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. They both come in giftable boxes with savings up to $46 and free shipping for a limited time. Go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.